text for the sermon this day is that reading from Revelation you heard earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So all the way back at September, the Sunday after Labor Day, we began this series of the Tree of Life. It began in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden were told by God to not partake of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that they partake of it, they would surely die. They did not listen. They did not obey God's word. And they partook of the fruit. And as a consequence, our world has forever been in a fallen world, in a broken world. And to this very day, we see its effects. The world we know is not the way it should be. Quite often, we live in our luxuries as Americans. We're blessed with so many great things, but sometimes we get so comfortable that we forget the brokenness around us. When I was, when I was a sophomore in high school, it was April 20th, 1999, and I was downstairs in my basement and I was working on homework in front of the TV, which is kind of, was my routine. And my dad was watching the news and on the news were kids flowing out of a high school. It was Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. When that shooting happened, it was kind of, one of it shocked many of us because it was the first really high profile school shooting for many of us. And I remember going to school the next day and us wondering what would happen if this happened at Ankeny High School. And now we are in 2023, those same type of shootings happen and we've seen so many of them. In fact, only a couple weeks ago there was a mass shooting as a at a dance studio. And We've almost become used to it, almost numb to it. If that doesn't scream to the brokenness of our world. We are in a broken, fallen world. And the evidence is all around us. My, my stepmom was in a hospital very recently. And the hospital was so filled, so full, that when they admitted her into the, she had to stay most of the night in the emergency room, and the only room that was available was the one for the psychiatric. And they figured this out because the door was locked from the outside. So my dad learned not to shut the door, otherwise they're locked in. But I mean, that's just the reality of the broken world we live in. We're surrounded by sickness. We're surrounded by death. And the thing is, is we'd like to pretend that we are just victims of this, that we play no part. Now reading in Revelation, it says, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, 
and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. I know, not very comforting words, and yes, it is speaking to the reality of hell. Yes, hell is a word we don't like to hear, but it really does exist. And it is a destination. As it says here, for those who are cowardly, faithless. Can, you honest, can we honestly say that our faith is always 100%? Could we say it's even always 80%? And I'm talking about faith in God, not the cliche you hear in our generation. I don't care. Our generation's cliche is, I don't care what you believe in, just believe. Which, by the way, is really bad advice. The whole idea of faith, to give you an idea of what faith is, Faith is when you actually trust in something, you take action in it. The reason why James says faith without works is dead is because there's no such thing as faith without works. And if you want to know why faith in the wrong thing doesn't work, if you see an ice, a lake that is frozen, and your faith would say, hey, I'm going to go walk on it. Now, if you are wrong, it doesn't matter if you put faith in you're going through the water, and you're going to be very cold and have a bad day. Faith in the wrong thing is not good. Faith in the wrong thing is deadly. Faith, and we put faith in so many things. As I just mentioned, the, the shootings. What is our answer? Quite often, Turn to the God of government and see what they can do to help us out. How often do we ever look to see maybe there's something wrong with the heart, something wrong in all of us, and turn to Christ? The murderers. Now, I'm hoping none of us have actually murdered anyone, but Jesus tells us that anyone who hates his brother is liable for, is guilty of murder. The sexually immoral, advertisers thrive on it. If anyone has looked lustfully upon another, they have committed adultery with that person in their hearts. I mean, we all have heard the word, what sells? You don't have to say the word, but you know the answer to that. Sorcerers. You ever look at horoscopes and actually put trust in it? Idolaters. Put faith in anything other than God. And all liars. Even little white lies. None of us stand. In the gospel, Jesus tells us of his law. Maybe we want to think, well, maybe, you know, God, okay, I get that we haven't done the, we've done these things. We haven't done the big things. But what does he say? Not one dot, not an iota of the law will pass. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and tell you, well, you know what, just live however you feel like. No, he came to fulfill the law. And the last words in the gospel is, he says, 
I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the day when Jesus said those words, he was speaking to a crowd for whom the scribes and Pharisees were the models of righteousness. It'd be like somebody telling you, unless you are as pure as a nun, unless you're more pure than a nun, you're not good enough. You kind of get the idea. But the reality is, is all of us are wretched. None of us match that righteousness. None of us comes even close. We all want to think that, well, I'm not that bad. This quote that I've, I've been wanting to use it for a while, I just could not find it, found it on the internet a few weeks ago. But it's by a Russian who lived during the rise of the Soviet Union. And this comes from his writing, the Gulag Archipelago. Archipelago, from 19, 1918 to 1956, the writer is Alexander, and I brought up, we tried to figure out this last name, how to pronounce the last name, I don't know, I, can't, I probably pronounced it wrong. But this is his quote, he says, as one who watched the Soviet Union rise up around him, and he saw the way that people, how normal everyday people allowed for these injustices, he says, only if, it, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The evils and injustices of the world could never happen unless normal, everyday people like you and I allowed it. And so this is the consequence of that tree in the midst of the garden. And so through the tree of life, we went through the Old Testament, and God gave a promise when they fell into sin that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And all of the Old Testament is all about pointing to that offspring. And so uh, we began back in January, when we had, all, we had those baptisms. We re heard about Jesus coming to the Jordan River, and John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we, you heard about his ministry, his preaching, his teaching, his miracles. And I know kind of feeling like we did a little bit of early Lent and early Easter, you got a little bit of, you heard of the crucifixion, the resurrection. Jesus was led to death, sentenced to death on the cross, where he bled and died. And on the third day, when they came to the tomb, it was empty, for indeed he had conquered death, and he had risen. That text in Revelation, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
Did you notice that? The tree, it doesn't say the trees were on both sides of the river. It says the tree was on both banks of the river. The early church believed that these banks represented the old and new covenant. That this tree of life stands upon. What is the tree of life? It's that one. The cross. The tree of life which we first, you first hear about in Genesis. That there was a tree in the midst of the garden that God had to send them out of the garden because if they ate of it, they wouldn't live forever. But he had a better tree of life. This one. Christ the Lord would hang upon it. And by his death, he would deliver life by that tree. But note again, it's the water goes right through the tree. Because flowing from that tree, and I don't know if you notice, nice and parallel to our baptismal font, flowing from the cross is the very grace in the waters of baptism. It's not the water itself. We, we don't have holy water. That is just plain water out of, the, out of the sink, out of the faucet. But when it is combined with the wor wor word of God and his promise, it brings the blessings of life that came from that tree. And the fruit. Talks about these 12 fruit that are coming from they're from the tree. Why 12? Well, for one, each month, yes, it says it right there. But also, how many apostles were there? 12. Remember Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the what? Branches. He calls them to bear much fruit. And yes, indeed, you, you, you will taste. You taste of that fruit. But even more, the fruit of salvation. But, but the point of the apostles is their entire task was to point and lead people to the tree of life. And that is still your task. My task. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There is only one way to salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is every single person in this room is destined for death unless Jesus returns first. That is one thing that every single human being has in common. And the second thing we have in common is because we are all going to die, death is the reality of the fact that we are all sinners. And on our own, there is no hope. But as Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have that righteousness. When you were baptized, you were clothed in the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Your sin was covered completely. And so when you stand before God, the, the Heavenly Father on the last day, he only sees the righteousness of his Son. But the reality is, is that there are so many in our world who are perishing. There are so many that have no knowledge of Christ. And we have, sometimes in our generation, we have this idea that, 
well, just keep your faith between yourself, you and yourself. You know, that's just a personal matter. In fact, we even say it. You're not supposed to talk about what in politics? Religion. Quite contrary to what Jesus said. There was a, there's a comedian magician. His name is Penn Gillette. Any of you, any of you familiar with him? Penn and Teller. They're usually, they t you tend to see a lot of them on New Year's Eve. But Penn Gillette has a video on YouTube. It, it was posted probably five, six years ago. And he's telling a story of when he was once on a talk show. And this man came, after the show, a man came up to him. And he was just kind of telling him, like, hey, I think I really like your show. Um, really appreciate your entertainment. You're very talented. And eventually he says, now I know that you're an atheist. Um, I know that you don't believe in God, but I'd like to give you this Bible. And Pendulette, when he's telling this story, he actually he applauds the man. Now the word he uses is proselytize. That's the common word you hear from um, secularists. They won't, refer, they won't call it evangelism. They call it proselytizing. But he said, he said, I don't agree that Christians should not proselytize. He actually recognized what this man was doing was an act of love. Because the thing is, and this is, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but as Penhead said it, if you really believe, that, if you really understand that every single one of us are going to die, and the consequence of our sin can lead to eternal damnation, to eternal suffering, but you know the answer, and you know the answer to how to avoid said destruction, and you say nothing, how much do you hate the person you withheld it from? And yes, he actually asked, that was Penn's words, how much much do you hate somebody to not tell them about your faith? To put it in a similar way, if you happen to be walking along the street and somebody happens to be crossing the road and a truck is coming, and you don't say, you know, shout and say, hey, truck is coming, or go out on the road to push them out of the way or do something, but instead you just watch as they get hit, how horrible that would be. But that is the very thing we do when we withhold our faith. Now understand, you have no power to convert anyone. And understand that you are not guilty if someone ends up rejecting Christ. But you are guilty when you withhold the message of Christ. Your job is not to convert. Your job is not to save anyone. And God will bring salvation to people in ways that we don't know. But it is your job to tell others. Because this is what is in store for you. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea represents chaos. So in other words, the chaos of this world was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will, 
dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The former things are death, sickness, brokenness, broken families, divorce, all the horrible things, all the things that are going on in our world, no more. That is what Christ has in store for us. That's what the tree of life delivers unto those who have received him by grace. So may we look upon Christ, upon that tree of life throughout our days, and may he use us as instruments to point others to him. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith to life everlasting.